Hi there, you're listening to the Practical Stoic Podcast with your host, me, Simon Drew. If you'd like to listen to over 200 episodes that were recorded before 2020, then you can head to my Patreon site. It's patreon.com forward slash Simon J.E. Drew. We'd love to have you there and any support is greatly appreciated. We'd love to also have you on our Facebook community, The Practical Stoic Mastermind. But for now, enjoy the show. Hi there, my name's Simon Drew and welcome to The Practical Stoic Podcast. Now today I have two really awesome guests for you guys. We've got Bob Simba and Dobby Herrian. Now these two guys are doing something really special. You may have seen them hanging around the Practical Stoic community because they're quite active. But what they're doing is they're creating a program to be implemented in United States schools, hopefully one day all around the world, uh, that can help students to embrace the principles of Stoicism to find greater effectiveness throughout their life and to be able to deal with the various situations and, and anxieties that they have to deal with these days. And seriously, this is such a worthy cause. And I said to Bob, listen, mate, I've got to get you on. We've got to have a conversation because I want everybody to know what you guys are doing. So uh, you can find all of the links to what they're doing online uh, in the show notes. So make sure you head there. And before we start the show, I'll tell you a little bit about Bob and Dob. So Bob Simba is a middle school English teacher and co-founder of Behavior Mods in St. Louis, Missouri. He's been practicing Stoicism regularly for about five years now. And he received his Bachelor of Arts in Philosophy from Webster University and his Master of Arts in Teaching from Fontbonne University. Additionally, he is a published poet and short story writer as well. Now to Dr. Dobby Herrian. Uh, He's been an educator for over 20 years and has provided leadership to private, public and for-profit institutions in higher education in the areas of operations, management and student development. Uh, After earning his doctorate from Merrillville University in St. Louis, Herrian took the position of Executive Director for the East St. Louis Higher Education Center, where he oversees campus programming and community development. Uh, He is also the co-founder of Behavior Mods, and both practices and teaches stoic principles to students and adults from socioeconomic at-risk and disadvantaged backgrounds. Herrian is the author of several books, including Looking Over God's Shoulder, uh, Thirsty, and most recently, The Adventures and Trials of Lucilius on Progress. Dr. Herrian is the recipient of the All-State Give It Up for Good Award for his non-profit work in St. Louis, and he's a proud father of two and a devoted husband. So, uh, Dobby and uh, and Bob here, I'm so excited to get these guys on the show for you guys to listen to them because uh, this is such a fascinating conversation, and man, I want to have them back many more times. So, without any further ado, I present to you Bob Simba and Dobby Herrian. All right, so we are here with Bob and Dobby. So uh, now I'm so excited to have you guys on. I know that Bob, you're a part of the whole Patreon scene that I'm putting on at the moment, um, and we've been talking back and forth for a while now. Um, and I really wanted to get you both on because you're doing a really interesting thing uh, with Stoicism that I haven't yet seen. Um, trying to bring obvious. Well, I'm going to let you guys describe it anyway. But what I understand is you're trying to bring Stoicism to the younger generation in a way that they can understand it and start using these philosophical principles. Um, and I just want to give you both a chance to uh, introduce yourselves, uh, tell us a little bit about how you came together and what you're kind of doing with uh, with behavior mods. 
Bob, you want to go ahead and kick us off then? Yeah, yeah. So it's really crazy how we actually met each other because I was originally uh, introduced to Stoicism and philosophy. I my undergrad is in philosophy, so I have a my bachelor's is actually in philosophy, and uh, I attended Webster University in St. Louis, and I had a professor there uh, my sophomore year. And I remember the class, I had to take a course called the philosophy of happiness. And basically it was a huge survey that sort of talked about, you know, what are the different conceptions of happiness? We talked a lot about Hume, uh, Bertrand Russell, um, a lot of the ancients. And one of the assigned readings was meditations. And, uh, that was my first exposure to it. And I really, I kind of, I vibed with the philosophy when I first heard it and I was really impressed by it. And that was kind of the seed that made me return later to study it further and the other Stoics uh, in general. But really the crazy thing about how Dobby and I got to meet each other is that professor that I had, uh, that I had taken that class from, he had make, made a recommendation. He said, Hey, I know this guy, Dobby, and he's looking to get something started with teaching, bringing stoicism to the K-12 sphere. And so uh, I reached out to him and I think I reached out to him like six months. There was like a six month interval when I reached out and then we kind of went mute and then life happened. And then like six months later, I actually, we reconnected again and we really tried to make it happen. And we just saw the huge application of stoic philosophy in the K-12 educational sphere. Um, so yeah, Dobby, if you wanted to pick up, pick from, pick up from that. Yeah. So, I mean, unlike Bob, I don't have a traditional background in philosophy. I, I studied marketing and I don't know, something else in undergrad. And then I ended up getting a doctorate in higher education. So for the past 20 years, I've been focused on higher education, leadership. And, you know, while all of that sounds good and it's great and it has its place, there was always something missing. I was always asking deeper questions. And, you know, for me, it was always about getting to the root of the issue. Um, and then at the end of 2018, I kind of stumbled upon some podcasts and I found Philosophize This. And not really knowing anything about philosophy, except, you know, what everyone else knows, Socrates and um, Aristotle and Plato, I just kind of hit play. And it takes you from, with the, the uh, podcast took me from, uh, pre-Socratic all the way through, uh, you know, some of today's modern thinkers, but I got stuck on Stoicism. And once I did, man, I honed in and it was like a drug. I mean, I had to have every book. I, I would go out to my kids' baseball games, but I'm reading Epictetus. I would go to the mall, but I'm, I'm carrying Seneca's dialogues. I immersed myself in this to the point that saw and understood the benefit of redirecting the focus from other people solely to myself to the point that I was able to reduce my level of stress. I mean, you talk about just an angry little black man walking around St. Louis. Hello, you know, that's me. <laughs> angry about everything. I'm just frustrated. But with stoicism, I learned to kind of check my behavior. I didn't get rid of my emotions. I I check them, I control them. And I, being in an urban setting, I know that African-Americans don't know anything about this. I mean, this is totally foreign to, the, to most people, but to the small segment, 
The 13% of black people who live in this country, forget about it. They don't know about it. But the behavioral issues we see in our school settings, higher education, K through 12, are all rooted in some of the issues that, I mean, Seneca addressed excellently. I mean, his, the tools exist. There's no reason to reinvent the wheel. So what we wanted to do was just take some of these wonderful tools and apply them to a self-absorbed narcissistic generation in a way that they would be able to see their own behavior. And rather than rely on expert advice and all this other stuff, they could self-check, self-regulate, really place less value on outside things and then kind of internalize it to where they are totally in control of what they're in control of. And what they're not in control of, they're not in control of. But the concept, I mean, as you know, to get young people oh, today to understand that and then to, to wrap their mind around it is what's been stressed. I don't know about you, Bob, but it's been stressing me out for the past two weeks. I mean, as I watch the news and as I watch the world and Facebook just, you know, rotate around coronavirus, I ask myself, how in the hell are we going to pull this off? Mm, yeah. Yeah, no, that's brilliant. I appreciate you sharing that. I appreciate, I appreciate both of you sharing your, your stories for how you came to it. And, and Dobby, I'm going to start with you. And then I also want Bob to jump in with his answer for this. But what was it? about stoicism that was so sticky to you because people call it a sticky mm. philosophy because you know people read it and it's like yeah. immediately right you're like oh That's man yeah. this is so good so what was yeah. it that really stuck out to you just the same as when bob read marcus aurelius you know what what was it you know i started with marcus too and as i was reading it at some point i realized well let me just back up so i tend to be an arrogant person at least i used to be the former me was just a kind of arrogant person. But as I read meditations, Marcus checked me as I was reading it. And the entire philosophy has a way of checking the reader and its arrogance at the door. And as I humbled myself, and I realized that I was in the company of my betters, I, I, I removed the, um, the haughtiness about me. And I just kind of sat and listened. I mean, it was like Seneca was writing to me. I mean, I became Serenus and Novartis and Lucilius. And so I, I really put my ego aside and, and heard somebody better at it than myself. And from mm -hmm. then on, I didn't have anything else to say. You know, I've written a couple of books myself, but I, I direct people to them. Because in my opinion, they've done the work. I mean, we have 500 years of good stuff. So... If, if I can absorb this, I, my, my hope is that everyone, my hope is that everyone can absorb it because I mean, it's brilliant. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I love that. And, and Bob, what about yourself? What was it that made stoicism so sticky to you? One of the things that really attracted me to stoicism and kind of my background, I guess, going back into it and Dobby, we kind of have the similarity too, is that I was raised in a Christian household. I was raised Catholic. And so a lot of the you know, a lot of the scriptures and a lot of the stuff that was taught um, was based and rooted in Christianity. And when I read the Stoics, when I read Marcus Aurelius, and I read about the humiliation, uh, not the humiliation, sorry, the humble humility, sorry, that's mm. the word, humility, the humility that he had as the most powerful man on earth at the time, 
the humility that he took to write this really stuck to me. And to be honest, there's a lot of stuff in Christianity that can be applied to everyday issues and problems. But for me personally, I think the Stoics, I think the advice that they give like blows the Christian advice out of the water. Like I really think that a lot of the application and a lot of the sort of mind hacks almost that yeah, yeah, uh, Stoicism yeah. gives, it makes it so that, um, you know, everyday life can be easier. And, and Dobby had said recently uh, in his, when, his, when he was talking about, you know, sort of the troubles with St. Louis and I, the international listener might not know this, but St. Louis has been Ferguson, uh, where Dobby actually lives in Ferguson, uh, a Florissan area. And um, it's been sort of the epicenter of all this racial tension about all these, uh, you know, Michael Brown, all these protests that have been happening. And so we really are testaments of, you know, how stoicism has changed us and how we've used that to sort of, uh, you know, adapt to our surroundings. And we really thought that the community as a whole could really benefit by having those tools. Um, yeah, we just, that's kind of, in a nutshell, that's kind of how I, I was drawn to stoicism and mm. uh, just meditating upon the little, the nuggets of wisdom that are all throughout, you know, stoics range from Epictetus, who was a slave to a Roman emperor. And there's just a lot of stuff in between. And that's, that's fascinating to me. Yeah. That, I was thinking about that recently, actually. It, it is very cool how you've got the three core Stoics who we read, you, you start right at the bottom with a slave. It's like somebody who, oh my gosh, like, you know, and he can be happy. Okay. You've got someone right in the middle who's kind of like in between government and the regular life. You've got Seneca there, you know, and, and he's, he's kind of trapped in all of these different worlds and you're like, okay, well, if he's trapped in all of these worlds, he can be happy. And then you look at Marcus Aurelius on top of the world. Right. And, right. and, and, and he doesn't yeah. use that power to to become deceitful and arrogant and rude and all these things that everybody becomes when they're like that. He uses that power to well, he, well, he, he almost despises that power, right? And and I want to uh, I, I want to come back to Dobby for a moment there because we I think it's a really interesting discussion that we can have about um, you know your experiences with St. Louis, right? Uh, because one of the great things about going into philosophy is it's, it's, it's almost like a hero's journey, right? You go into this, you try to get some good information, you go into the deep in, into the woods, right? And you hopefully come back to your community with something valuable, which is, you know, obviously what I'm trying to do here with this podcast, it's go out there, get something valuable, bring it back to people and hopefully they take it and, and run with it. But what, what do you think it is about the, the community that, that you grew up in that, uh, that, has led there to be such toxic divides and such toxic uh, attitudes that you even became, you know, just angry and, 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 uh, you know, what was it, what do you think it is about it? And, and what do you think you can do to change it? I mean, Simon, it's the same thing that plays all communities, to be honest with you. It's our love for things that really have no value in my mm. community, the love of costly, you name it you know, trinkets and toys and goodies and, and image and image consultants and all this stuff that is really of no value that we have placed an extreme level of importance on that I did too as a 20 year old, that my parents did too, that we've always have all done. You know, so none of this is novel. None of this is new. The, the difficulty though with, if we just stick to the St. Louis population is that 
there's a history of just, it's an extremely small, tight-knit, closed-off community that is not receptive to innovation. I'll be honest with you, especially from outsiders. And even though, like I've been in St. Louis for 14 years, but before that I lived in England, I've lived in California, but lived in Alaska. Um, as an outsider, people aren't receptive generally. And then an outsider with stoicism, like what are you talking about? So the barrier is so, so wide that it's such a daunting task. But the beauty is that you do have three examples of a slave to a Roman emperor. So everybody benefits from this. If we could just get everyone to see, you have a place in stoicism from the greatest to the smallest. We can all learn from this, you know, wonderful wisdom. It's just getting through the, the mindset of people here is tough. Yeah. Yeah, no, of course. And, and I want you, you, you both to kind of weigh in, in on this because obviously a whole, the whole idea behind behavior mods is to try and get people to start, start utilizing these philosophies for their life and to start actually seeing those results. So yeah, if you both want to have a chat about like how, how do you get somebody who's say 16 years old in school and they grew up in an impoverished neighborhood um, you know, no real good examples to look up to. Like they're just angry with the world, you know, cause there are a lot of people like that right now. There are a lot of people who are just furious with the world and, and it doesn't help that when you turn on the TV, all you see is bad, bad, bad. Your country sucks. Your country sucks. Your country sucks. Like everybody else's country sucks. Like, like the, the, there's, there's so few people out there. Um, well, you know, it's getting better. It's getting a lot better. For example, you guys, right. But um, it's really hard for people to find those great examples of, of leaders and even more difficult to bring them just a book and say, Hey, here's a, here's somebody you can look up to. It's like, what I got to read this, you know, right. how do you get that 16 year old to, to get into stoicism and, and actually see how you can use it? Well, one of the beautiful things uh, about behavior mods is equipping people with tools. And that might require for us to just take a small group of students and be like, hey, we're just going to sit real quick and we're just going to talk about what we're thinking right now and then build off of that. Mm. One, I think one of the big failures right now, and it's progressed, like you said, Simon, it's progressed uh, even in the educational system. It's still not there yet, but one of the failures that I think is going on is in uh, faculty development and also the social emotional sorts of programs that are in school right now. They tell you, you know, they're good at, you know, having students learn about, we need to identify our biases. We need to, you know, think about how we are stereotyping certain groups of people. And right now, people are doing a really good job at teaching that lesson. We're the failure and there's a huge need in that sort of thing is to teach the faculty and the students, okay, we have that narrative, we have that historical place that we have, whether it's poverty, whether it's, um, whether it's uh, inequities, whether it's you know historical racism, all these different things, they sort of stop there and don't go to, okay, here are the tools to use in order to deal with a lot of that stuff. And that's, yeah. really, that's really the area where Dobby and myself, we, where we think that we can shine with stoicism in taking that personal responsibility and using those tools that the Stoics have outlined for us. Um, it's going to be difficult kind of going back to the question. It'll be really hard because there's a lot of, there might be a lot of, um, you know, indoctrination about 
vices about we need to strive for a certain lifestyle. There's going to be a lot of that, especially with older students. But it might be just, first of all, building rapport with them. And then second of all, start small. Start with, here's what we're thinking. And then we can sort of get into that meta, meta analysis of how to change those thoughts. Yeah. Mm. I wanted to also add, Simon, um, we've found, so the beautiful thing is that we kind of have little cohorts of students already built in who are perfect for this uh, program. So in our systems, we have a lot of students in alternative schools. Um, we have students who are in in-school suspension. So because we have these built-in populations mm -hmm. of angry students, we are trying to work with the school districts to figure out a way to build a relationship, the rapport, to go in and actually set up a like 16-week program for students to where we can um, implement our model. We can use our uh, the tools Bob talked about. Uh, start with some pre-tests. We'll have some post-tests. Um, we have uh, measurements already in place. Like we have a lot of the background done. Um, and we have a built-in population who are already kind of mandated to be where they are. So we have them for 50 minutes or so. We can really begin to, I think, change the narrative. Like Bob said, they are used to hearing a lot of the same old, same old, same old. I think it'll be important for us to have a different approach, a different attitude, and allow the students to see how quickly they can take control of their own critical thinking and learning and behavior. Mm, yeah. And, and that's, that's probably the crucial element, right? Because I, I mean, it seems like we're moving in kind of a dangerous direction where people are taught uh, that everything outside of you, that's horrifying and, and you should focus on changing all of that. And it's like, man, how do I change all of that? Right. But yeah, how, yeah. how do you get, how do you get that 16 year old kid or that 17 year old kid to stop focusing on, on, on thinking that all of that is what's making them, you know, ineffective and start to actually go within, right? Because that's real, you know, that, that, that's the thing about all yeah. of this. It's so hard to navigate that because everything that you see, it is so real, especially as yeah. a kid. So how do yeah. you get them to see that, well, I could go within and I could try and develop myself and change the outer world? Yeah. Through examples, right? I mean, it's the best way to learn. I mean, that's, I mean, it's, this is the question I struggle with. I have two kids. I have a 13 year old and I have a, a nine year old. And how do I get these kids who are so obsessed with everything outside to focus on themselves and not be uh, egocentric about it or anything like that? And it's really through an example. And I think the workshops that we have in our curriculum and the way we set things up, it's a very, very slow process that, that, that helps the student begin to see that while those things exist, the only, well, as we know, the only real good is virtue, you know, but to get a student to that point, you really got to backtrack and show them how likes on your social media aren't important. And I, how do you do that? Slowly and over time. Mm -hmm. There's a story I told Bob, I got, a, I got a very nice car, very nice sports car. I got in an accident. And normally I would have freaked out because the car was damaged. I had my kids in the back and I got out, I looked at the damaged, uh, the damaged car. And instead of freaking out and, and wailing about it, I wanted to show my kids how little value I placed on a BMW. 
because they're not going to listen to me rant about how important it is for you to listen to Seneca and read Marcus, but they will remember how their dad didn't freak out that his mm. car crashed. So, you know, it's those lessons and examples we want to give students. So when they are confronted with someone that gets in their face, you know, talks a little reckless, they'll remember how Bob reacted when the situation was in front of them. You know, we just need to yeah. provide examples of this stoic behavior so students can have something to recall when they're in similar situations. Yeah, absolutely. That, that, that's, so, that's so key, right? And I, I was thinking about this recently because, you know, when I was growing up, actually, I, I went to church and I've been thinking about how a lot of people kind of uh, look at religion right now. There's, there's, a, there's a really big kind of debate on, you know, like, do we need it? Do we not need it? Mm-hmm. Um, and I was thinking about, back to my time there and I was thinking about all of the hypocrites who I knew, right? Like all of these people who we, we'd call them Sunday Mormons, right? They'd be these people who'd, who'd show up on Sunday and they'd, you know, they'd, they'd do exactly what they were supposed to do on Sunday. They'd tell other people how they were supposed to do it. But you knew that they were going back to the house throughout the week and just not, not living any of those principles, right? But when I thought about it, going back to what you're saying about examples, those weren't actually the people who I looked up to. The people who I looked up to were those who were genuinely living by the principles, genuinely generous people, uh, always striving to be better, always taking care of their family, then their community, yeah. then their church, you know. Uh, they were, and, and I looked at these people and I was like, man, I want to be like that, right? And it's not until you actually start questioning who were the people who I looked up to, because I, I mm. could have had that perception of like, oh, they're all just a bunch of hypocrites. But no, I didn't look up to those people. So... Are you guys doing this in a way that you're being that example to the kids or are you pointing out that, hey, listen, Seneca, look at him and how he lived or, or look at Marcus Aurelius, here's an example. Um, and then, and then, like, what's the first step there when you get these kids in a circle to talk about it? Like, like how, do you, how do you portray this story to them? Well, I think, I think one of the things that we would like to do is, I mean, obviously, yeah, I mean, we'd love to you know, be that manifestation of the example, but, you know, we're humans too, and we, we fail too. And uh, we feel like a lot of times pointing to that exemplar from history uh, can say, can serve as kind of a really solid foundation for what to work with. But if it came to, you know, hopefully in our, you know, when we go, when we're preparing for our lesson for the day, uh, whether, whether it's on the four virtues, because that's kind of how we, pinpoint our lessons is around the four virtues. Mm. Uh, hopefully we can sort of live out that example for students in order to give them that. Because I was actually reading Seneca the other day and uh, Simon, one of our meetups a couple weeks ago brought me back and I'm, I'm glad to, to have done that. And I was reading letter seven and it says, when a, when a mind is impressionable and has none too firm a hold on what is right, it must be rescued from the crowd. It is so easy for it to go over to the majority. And unfortunately, a lot of times students in all, not just like inner city schools, but even county schools, the whole K-12 educational system, there are so many negative influences. And so if we can point out and be that sort of light in their life that can sort of live out the example of, oh, we don't really need to have the newest Apple iPhone. We don't really need to have that. All we really need is to do what is right. Uh, We feel like that we can make hopefully a big influence on people who only think that the way to succeed is to have the new hot thing or the, or popularity or all the different vices that the world provides. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. Dobby, did you want to add anything to that? No, nope, I think Bob covered it. Yeah, beautiful. No, I, I think this is, this is so exciting, you know, because I've been thinking about this for a long time that I, it's, it's, we've got to figure out a way how, how we can get these ideas into the hands of, of people when they're a lot younger, you know, because I, mm. you know, I, I only literally started reading books when I was like 20. Before that, I was a literary noob. I just, I, I knew nothing about, I didn't want to have a thing to do with books, right? Um, and, 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 you know, it, it, it's kind of one of those things where you can't, you can lead the kid to water, but you can't make them drink. Right. Like it's, it's, yeah. it's a difficult thing. Yeah. And, and when they've been indoctrinated by culture and family and, and, you know, friends and, and all of this stuff and teachers and everything, um, you know, it's just, it's, it's so difficult to get them into that place where they're willing to actually see those examples, where they're actually willing yeah. to see that, um, because you have to want to know the answers, right? Yeah, but you do. I, yeah. I think that one of the biggest problems today that we have is we think that we know the answers, right? And we're we're taught from a young age that hey, you can have the answers, right? Here's the answers, and everywhere you go, there's some advertisement telling you, hey, this is happiness, this is happiness, this is happiness, and it's like, man, when you think that you know what you're going after, then it's so hard to get out of that. But I think that the biggest thing of stoicism, which I, I think is what you guys are trying to do, is to show kids you don't have to go after that fake version of happiness that everybody is telling you that you can get, right? It, it, it's actually a matter of going within. And I've been thinking about this lately. Um, virtue is like one of those things that you can hit it with a hammer however many times you want and it will not break. It's like if you act in a virtuous way, good things happen for you. That doesn't mean that life will always go how you want it to go. That doesn't mean that you'll always get what you want. It just means you can feel good about the way that you've shown up in the world, right? Which in a way is to say, no matter how I live my life, as long as I aim at virtue, things will turn out okay for me mentally, right? Is that the Mm -hmm. kind of message that you're trying to share with these kids? Hmm. You know, Simon, I think I might take it even a step further in saying that no matter how things turn out, they've turned out the way that they ought to. And as a result, I'm still happy, right? Yeah. You know, Bob said something earlier where, you know, we're not trying to be the examples because we're human. Well, that is the example, right? Mm. I mean, the, it's not like we are the wise man. Right, we are all on the journey toward becoming the wise man. One of my favorite books or dialogues that Seneca wrote was um, it was either on the happy life or the um, tranquility of the mind. He says that um, I think the antagonist is questioning him, like, "Well, you know, if why do you why are your plates nicer than they need to be, and why is your house fancier, why does your wife wear the cost of a rich man's house in his in her ears?" And Seneca says, "Because I am not a wise man," and I think the problem is that as young people, we really have grown up in a world where the right answer and searching for it and having to have it in conversations and in dialogue and in interviews and in life is so important that rather than figure out how to think, we spend so much time figuring out how to answer the question. I mean, even in this interview, I'm nervous, like, what is Simon gonna ask? How am I gonna ask? <laughs> but we want kids to be able to think about everything that Simon could ask. 
and have already answered it. It takes the sting out of everything, right? Mm. No matter what happens, no matter how it happens, I have prepared myself for all of it. And so I'm not going to be bothered by my iPhone being stolen because that's what happens. Thieves exist, mm. right? We want students to begin to break down the crowd. Like I don't get angry at people anymore because I understand the behavior of the crowd. Mm. Where's the shock when I'm struck in the head if I'm in the middle of a mob? That's what happens when you're in the middle of a mob. <laughs> Disease, captivity, conflagration are none of these things to be expected. I mean, it's been circling us forever. And so because those of us who are rooted in this philosophy know how to guard ourselves against it, I think true Stoics or those of us practicing are in a, are in a great position to help those who haven't. Yeah. Mm. But we have to gently ease them into this new frame of thinking where it's okay not to have the answer and here's how to think about it and rationally think about it so you're not freaking out when you hear the news and death and all this stuff daily. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's rough out there and it's rough for a lot yeah. of people. Right. And that's the thing. It's like, um, a lot of people, they, they need answers, you know, they need to have an answer because if they don't have an answer, then it seems as if their life is chaotic and they don't have an answer and that makes everything so much worse. Right. So it's like, but, but I think the beauty of Stoicism, and I think that we can actually learn a lot from Eastern philosophy as well, because uh, you look at things like the Tao Te Ching uh, that teaches, um, you know, if you know one thing, then you know everything. And it's right. Like, what is that one thing? I almost think that that one thing is like virtuous thought. It's like, okay. Yeah. And, and, and non-judgment, right? It's like, if you can go through life, not judging everything from your immediate perceptions, but, but thinking, uh, thinking as, as distantly as possible right um viewing the whole situation um you know it, it's almost as if that is the one secret <laughs> to 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 just be like cool i can yeah. get through life i don't have to have all the answers now yeah. bob did you want to add anything uh, to what w said there earlier yeah i was just gonna say uh a lot of people that we see and you know kids do this all the time adults do it too i mean we're no one's perfect but there's this automatic response to the externals to the impressions um it's that and i know that there's a greek word for what it is automatic and what it is after but i, I can't recall it right now but there's this automatic response that people have towards different stimuli uh usually it's associated with fear and we really see it in the k-12 system with anger and frustration uh, wanting to seek vengeance, stuff like this. And um, really, one of the things that we try to implement in behavior mods in our, in our model is to have them question your impressions. Because the impression, you can always act later, but sometimes you can't take actions back once you've acted upon that in a, uh, you know, a very aggressive manner. You can always you can always linger for a little bit and think, hmm, why do I feel like this? Why do I have these feelings toward a certain thing, right? Um, I've had to deal with that in my past. I'm being a descendant of a Holocaust survivor. My, my whole life, I was kind of um, bombarded with, uh, you know, all this information about, you know, the atrocities and the horrors of the Holocaust. And it was something that I personally had to get over 
with feeling these sort of feelings of anger towards those events and how it affected, you know, my grandmother. So I, mm. I feel like Dobby and, and me can both relate to that um, in some way. And I think that there's a lot of that going on with, with, uh, with youth in the inner city and even, even the rest of the community at large. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that, I think that the the biggest thing that anybody can do when they want to actually learn about themselves is just admit that they don't know. Right. Like, cause, cause that's the whole thing. Any kind of belief I was reading Seneca yesterday and he was talking about how, how hope and fear are exactly the same thing. They walk side by side because, you know, if you hope for something, then that's also a fear that that thing will not happen. Right. And, and so any sort of judgment about what could happen, what won't happen, any judgment about this is right, this is wrong. It's, it just completely clouds your judgment. Right. And we are, we, as I've often said that our biggest strength is our biggest weakness. And that is our ability to reason, right? Because our ability to reason tells us, Oh, I know that that's a fact. But as soon as you think that, you know, something that removes any chance that you're going to learn anything else about that something, right? You need, you need to have that, you need to have that ability to step outside and say, okay, I don't know fully. Maybe there's something else here. Maybe I can question a little bit more, right? How do you reckon we get kids to, to get to that stage where they, where they uh, are able to say, you know, I don't necessarily have to have all the answers. It's okay to just go within myself and to, to maybe question my own, my own perceptions and everything. Like what's, what's the process there? Hmm if there is one. <laughs> no, I'm thinking about it even with myself. You know, I mean, I didn't pick this up until age 40, right? So mm. um, I, I didn't just wake up one day and was in this different mindset all the time to where I was like, yeah. oh, you know, I got it. Um, but see, that's brilliant because like at age 40, your mind is pretty well baked, right? It's ready, like it, it's been developed. Like, man, how do, how do you change your mind then? Nobody changes their mind at 40. That's, <laughs> that's when most people right. are like, I'm just skating for the rest of my life. Like, yeah. how did you do that? Well, I was skating and I didn't like where I was going. I mean, I'll be honest with you. Um, the black culture is very protective. And to step outside of it and do something as different or as novel as this publicly with the crowd. I mean, it's kind of dangerous and it's a little, you know, you're going to be ostracized from the group, but I just, I was just so tired of faking it. I was just so tired of not asking, not having the right questions asked. I mean, I'm an administrator and to sit in these rooms and have people ask these pretend questions that they know the answers to, we're not getting anywhere. I was just done with, with, with the game. And, you know, this allowed me to have my own voice. Kids need to know how to channel that voice, what it sounds like, and then how to use it before they just have this kind of reactive, as Bob said, response to a typical stimulus. If somebody pushes you, your natural reaction is to either push them back or have a verbal, you know, whatever. To answer your question, Simon, in one of our workshops, when the kids come in, we may actually step on their shoes. Bob might actually slap me in the face. We need <laughs> to be 
in real life intense situations so kids can see what it looks like to rise above fortune. Because Bob slapping me is just fortune, right? I have no control over that. So how do I react? How does a stoke, how, how should one react? And sometimes we act the right way, sometimes we don't. But we're all on a course toward wisdom. So how do you get kids there? You have Bob slap Dob and you show them <laughs> not to freak out. I don't know, man. I don't know, it's tough. It and one of the one of the kind of going off what Dobby said, uh, one of the things that we try to do when we teach the virtue of temperance is we we have these students love suckers. All right. When you or like candy, if you if you have that, you're all set. Right. As a teacher, if you have that for a reward or as an example, that's a really it's a really fun and engaging thing because they know that they have stake in this. Right. And so one of the methods that we try to do is we put a bowl of dum-dum suckers in this huge bowl behind a curtain and we have each kid take how many they need which how many they would like to take mm -hmm. and usually you have one student who goes and they're like i'm going to take half the bowl because i want to take it and not leave enough for others and at the very end of the lesson students learn that if you only took one and if you were temperate about the situation and not you know, greedy to take all this stuff and to actually think about your actions, then everyone could potentially benefit because you only took one piece of candy from the bowl. Mm. So those types of lessons, we really want to teach students in order to, you know, show the stoic truths, really. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. I'm, I'm so excited about this for you guys because I, I just think it's, it's so needed out there. And I, I just think... Um, man, if things keep on going the way that like we're heading into a time in history where we are going to be facing some of the biggest challenges histories humanity's ever known. You know, I was speaking to um, uh, to Professor Joseph uh, Siracusa recently, who was telling me about how uh, he's a historian and, and 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 very interested in philosophy as well. And he was saying that right now it seems like we're in the same position that we were in in 1914, just before the two big world wars. And it's like when you think about that. It's like, man, like, have we, have we, uh, ha do we have a generation that is up to the task of taking care of the world? Do we have a generation that is ready to step up and, and focus on changing themselves first so that they can look after their family, their community, their country? Um, and, you know, this is just an interesting time. So I guess the last question I have for you guys, and I'm actually, I'm going to get you guys back on many more times because this has been really fun. And, and I think that we could, you know, if we have another conversation, not specifically about behavior mods, but just about stoicism in general, we'll, we'll go down many rabbit holes. But I just want to hear from both of you. Uh, what's the best case scenario for what you would like to achieve with what you're doing with, with behavior mods? Like, what do you see? What do you see happening? If, if and I know this isn't necessarily stoic because you're not supposed to hope, but, but best case scenario, what happens? For me, Simon, best case scenario, this behavior mod program is implemented in all K through 12 systems and students grow up being uh, familiar with philosophy. I mean, it's just not taught in our school system. Yeah. And if we could have the behavior mods model and the stoic approach applied to disciplinary issues throughout the country, we would have a reduction in in-school suspension. We would have increased retention 
We would have increased graduation rates. We might have a reduction in crime. We might have fewer, po I mean, this, in my opinion, changes the world, which is what I think Marcus, mm -hmm. uh, which is what I think Zeno wanted from the very beginning. So I see this as a life changer. And for those of us who have uh, guzzled down the Kool-Aid, you know, it's perfect. so that's, that's my vision for this. It's just, it takes over. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. I I have, I have a, that's, yeah, I have a big vision too. You know, in order, in being entrepreneurs and being, you know, educational consultants, we know that we have to, you know, start really small and we're, you know, we're, we're cool with that. We know the game and that's kind of the way it is, but really we have a lot more invested than just, you know, getting this program out. Right. I think that Dobby, uh, even the first time I met him, I just saw his passion. I was really encapsulated by that. And really my goal with behavior mods is to sort of, work in the school system first with getting students prepared with how to deal with life issues and how to respond to those and you know have meta-analysis of their own thoughts but also spreading that and taking it outside of the school into the community where that stuff is really needed oh, yeah. everywhere when you look at the whole spectrum of socioeconomic scales even the the community that is the most impoverished the, the wealthiest community can both benefit. I mean, as we've seen from, uh, you know, Epictetus to Seneca to Marcus Aurelius, you see these people from all different walks of life and really seeing the change in students and having them go out, like Dobby said, it can reduce crime on the outside. Of course, in education, we're, we really want to focus on, uh, you know, retention rates and graduation rates and uh, uh, less incidents, behavioral incidents, but really, really a reduction in community crime is huge. And really, if we can even lower it by 0.2%, 0.02%, if we can, we can have that big of an impact, I would say that this type of program would be successful. And so, yeah, I, I just really see the, the symbiotic relationship between schools and communities really building and feeding off of the energy that's brought in by these, by these mental cognitive changes. Yeah. Oh man. This is, it's so exciting. I, I love what you guys are doing. I'm grateful that you're doing it. Um, because you know, this philosophy is, you know, as much as I don't think that it's necessary to push it like a religion, it needs to be pushed in some sort of way, you know, it needs to be pushed out there into society in some sort of way that's going to actually get it in the hands of people who are um, going to effectively spread it around, you know, because it, it does change lives. Um, and so, you know, I'm grateful for what you guys are doing. I want to support you in any way that I can. Um, just how, how can people support you and what you're doing? How can they book you to come to their school? Um, what, what's, what's the process? Well, honestly, Simon, I mean, and if you have a different answer, Bob, by all means jump in. Uh, as a matter of fact, Bob, can you go ahead and give them our um, social media links? Yeah, I can, Simon, I can send you the links and uh, we'll I can give the you the notes. email. Yeah, we can do that. I can, right after the show's over, I can, I can uh, shoot you all that information. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, but as far as, as far as booking us for gigs and things, uh, we're still in the process of that. But if uh, anybody wants to contact us, you know, certainly um, through you or, um, well, honestly, at this point through you and whatever Bob sends, they'll be able to reach us. And we're also on the um, Facebook group. I don't know. Yep. If, are you on that page, right, Bob? Uh, I mean, yeah. Yep. Yep. 
you know, we're always on there making comments and answering the what would a stoic do questions uh, from time to time. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. and also, also just kind of building off what Dobby said, if you want to do, and this is kind of the craziness of the times, right? Uh, Dobby, I don't mean to shoot you this, shoot this out to you as a surprise, but if anyone wants to have, if you're not in St. Louis or in, in the East St. Louis, greater St. Louis area, if you want to have a virtual gathering uh, of getting stoic practice and kind of going through some exercises uh, with yeah. students or if any, because we really, we're trying to be servants, we're trying to help out and uh, we're just really, you know, trying to, trying to lessen all the tragedies that people do right now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Bob, I'm down. Yeah. Cool. Heck cool. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks so much, guys. I appreciate what you're doing. We're going to have you back on many more times. And, uh, and yeah, thanks for what you're doing. Thank you. Appreciate it. Good stuff. So there you have it, my interview with Bob and Dob, as they call themselves. So uh, guys, you've got all of the links in the show notes to where you can find out everything that they're doing and uh, a very worthy cause. So um, I wish them all the best with that. But uh, we're going to have them back and uh, make sure you reach out to them, let them know how much you appreciate them coming on the show. Uh, But I'll talk to you guys next time. And until then, I hope that this episode has helped you on your rise to the good life. Ciao. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Practical Stoic Podcast. If you'd like to stay up to date with the Practical Stoic community and everything to do with this podcast, then just go to my website, simonjedrew.com and subscribe to the Practical Stoic Weekly, a newsletter that I send out every week with updates and all sorts of great Stoic insights. You can also find me everywhere online by searching Simon J. E. Drew. See you next time.